Adventure Podcast. This podcast is about helping listeners learn from and meditate on our sermons from anywhere at any time. Thanks for joining us, and let's get started. This episode is from the Rethinking My Life series, and it is called Rethinking Sin. Let's talk about sin. I think if I were to ask you what is the biggest problem in your life, you might say, my finances, my job, uh, the competition for my business, my marriage, my kids, my in-laws, my cat. The truth is, in my life, I am my biggest problem. And in your life, you're your biggest problem as well. We cause ourselves more problems than everybody else in the universe put together. And it is our thinking, it's what happens up here that causes the problems. When we don't think correctly, we don't feel correctly. When we don't feel correctly, we don't, well, we don't make good choices. We make bad choices. And when we make bad choices, we are destructive to ourselves and to others. So most of the problems in our life are caused right here. This is where the problem starts. The Old Testament says it a little bit more poetically. Watch this, Jeremiah chapter 17. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So the heart, at least in our culture, we, we refer to the heart. When we're talking about that seed of emotions, we talk about our heart because you realize when you get under stress, you can feel your heart beating, right? I mean, you know when you're nervous, you just feel it going like this. Uh, other cultures have different things. Some cultures say it's the stomach, which works too, right? You get feeling not good, you feel it in your stomach. Other cultures say it's the liver. And if you've eaten a lot of fried food, it probably is. But whatever it is, what we need to learn to do today, we need to stop and really rethink how we think about sin. So we're going to look at three things. What is sin? How do, or why do I struggle with sin, and how do I find a solution to it? So number one, what is sin? So we need to get back to a biblical view of sin. When we avoid a biblical view of sin, we fail to come to grips with the reality of sin in our lives, the extent of sin in our lives, and the danger of sin in our lives. So having a biblical view of sin isn't meant to harsh your mellow. It isn't meant to just crush your dreams. It isn't meant to make you depressed or to make you feel bad about yourself. It's there so we can learn the truth of what it's doing to us. And only when we learn the truth can we deal with it. So I, I would rather have truth over comfort any day of the week. We've got to deal with this. All right, so let me lay out four facets of sin for you. Here's the first one. A, sin is the exact opposite of God. All right, because God is good. 
Sin is the exact opposite of good. Watch this from Psalm 111. All God does, that's all, that is everything that God does, all that God does is just and good, and all of His commandments are trustworthy. 1 Timothy 4 says, everything God created is good. So, what has happened is, in our sin, we have taken the good things that God has created and we have corrupted them. For example, love is good, but we've corrupted it. Sex is good, great, <laughs> but we've corrupted it. Money is good, but we've corrupted it. So you have all, and it can be any number of things. When they're used for good, when food is used for good, it's fantastic. But if I use food for, well, the wrong reasons, well, the problem becomes more apparent <laughs> over time, right? So all these good things we've taken and corrupted. When they're used God's way, they're actually good things. So sin's the exact opposite of God, and God is good. All right, the next one, B. Sin is the opposite of love. So you've got to understand, sin is always unloving. You know, we frequently here at Adventure, we talk about the two greatest commandments. The first greatest commandment, he said, was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second commandment, the second greatest commandment, which is actually equal to the first great commandment, is that you shall love who? Your neighbor. And how do you love your neighbor? As yourself, exactly. Sin is the exact opposite of those things. So there's a point where Jesus was talking about the end times. And he gave a mile marker to watch for in the culture that uses love as a mile marker. Matthew 24. He says, sin will be rampant everywhere. And what does he tie that to? And the love of many will grow cold. So sin is always unloving. Sin and the abuse of others, even to the point where maybe the sin is not so much that you abuse people, but you don't even think about them. You don't even consider them. Sin and that kind of thing always go hand in hand. All right, see, sin is always selfish. Always selfish. James 3 for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder, it could also be translated chaos, and evil of every kind. So at the root of every sin is me being self-centered. It's me being selfish. It's always about me having something, right? Or feeling something. All right, let's jump to the next one, D. Sin is always unbelief. So at the moment that I sin, leading up to that moment, there is always a lie that I have chosen to buy into at that moment. And what I'm saying in my sin is I don't trust God. I don't trust what God said on this. I doubt something about God here. I'm doubting His Word. I'm doubting His love. I'm doubting His compassion. I'm doubting His wisdom. I'm doubting His plan. But I'm doubting something. There's something I'm not believing about God at that very moment. So unbelief is at the very root of every sin. It's a, it's a lack of faith. Belief, on the other hand, is going to show itself through trust. Job chapter 16, or excuse me, John chapter 16, verse 9. 
The world's sin is that it refuses to what? Believe in me. You know, I think probably the guy who dealt more with doubt than anybody else we can see in Scripture, and I love the whole story. It's the story of Job. Or if you look at the Old Testament, it looks like Job. It's pronounced Job. And uh, one of the fascinating things to me in the story of Job is how he loses everything. He has some very well-meaning friends that come in and don't really help him. They want to, but they, this is just a special occasion, and they're actually kind of a pain in the rear end. And, uh, but one of the things I love about Job is Job comes back and says, even if God kills me, I'm still going to believe in him. I'm still going to trust him. He avoids sin and what he chooses to do there. All right, number two. What is my challenge in my struggle with sin? So if you're struggling with sin today, I'm, so you just need to know up front, you're in the right place. Is there anybody else here who struggles with sin or am I it? All right. Yeah, you're in the right place. You're in good company. So the Apostle Paul, who's arguably the most influential Christian since Christ himself, the guy that we're named after, lays out his own struggle. Now, this is the guy, remember, this is the guy who, by the time he's done writing these letters, is going to have written about one-third of the New Testament. Most of the teaching you hear in any church references this guy. Listen to his struggle as an apostle. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law. In other words, the trouble is not with what God has declared to be right and wrong, for it's spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I'm all too human. A slave to sin. Verse 15. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Verse 17. It is sin living in me that does it. Verse 21. When I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Paul says, this is such a no-brainer. There's two choices. A and B. A is good. B is bad. I know A. <laughs> But I keep marking B. That's what he lays out. I love that. And what he's doing is he's talking about that human tendency we have to think about ourselves first and honestly to look out for our own selfish interests first. And quite honestly, probably by our teen years, we're really rolling with that. And by our adult years, we've got that perfected, right? That's the battle. That's the struggle that Paul talks about. It becomes a solid part of our thinking. It becomes a solid part of our decision-making process, even though we know it shouldn't be. Watch this from verse 23 and 24, same chapter. There's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. In other words, what he's doing, he's saying, I am such an idiot. That's how we'd say it. So Isaiah explains this problem like this. And Isaiah, I love how he explains this problem because this is one you and I don't grasp. We don't remember this. Isaiah 59, 2. Your sins are the what? The roadblock between you and your God. That's why, watch this, he doesn't answer your prayers or let you see his face. So, 
whenever I feel like God isn't answering my prayers, I've developed a routine through the years. Because as Paul said, hi, my name's Tony, and I'm an idiot. All right, so, hi, Mike. So, what I have learned that I need to do is when I feel like God isn't answering my prayers, I don't start asking God why he isn't answering my prayers, and I don't start accusing him of not answering my prayers. What I do is I do some introspection. I take an inventory. Some of you know that word real well, right? I take an inventory, and I look deep inside of myself, and I search in my heart, and I search through my day, And what I'm searching, what I'm trying to do is to see if maybe inside of me somewhere there is some sin that I have overlooked or some sin that maybe I've gotten so comfortable with it, I don't even think of it as sin anymore. And I look and I try to find those things and when I find them, I confess them and I ask for forgiveness for them. Not because God hasn't forgiven me, but because he's needing me to acknowledge that I need forgiveness because I'm not listening. And I make changes to correct those thoughts. See, my sin breaks my fellowship with God. Now, this next verse is not in your notes, but I'm going to have you write it in. It's 1 Peter. You can just put 1 Peter 3, chapter 3, verse 7. This is from the New Testament. You say, well, now wait a minute. You know, sin doesn't break my fellowship. God can hear my prayers because he's given me grace and I've been forgiven. That's a poor understanding. Watch what Peter says here. I'm going to read it to you. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are. And by the way, they're talking about physically weak. My wife is way mentally stronger than me. She's also spiritually stronger than me. But I could take her in a fight. (laughs) All right? Not if she's armed, though. She outshot me in our qualifications. Okay, anyhow. Using my weapon, by the way, it was rather sad. I've destroyed the evidence. Um... I used to say that if I ever cheated on her, her last words to me would be, how do you reload this thing? (laughs) And then she took the class. So now it'll just be, hold still. (laughs) Um, What was I doing? That was free, by the way. Um, Okay, oh yeah, I remember. All right. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Now, this is, the, this is the part I want you to hear. Treat her as you should. Why? So your prayers will not be hindered. Listen, husbands and wives, if you are not getting along with each other, if you are not treating each other with respect, God has said, not listening to your prayers. I'm going to bet you got kids you want to have prayed for, right? You want God to hear your prayers for your kids and for their other things? Get along with your spouse. Get along with your spouse. By the way, he addresses husbands in that culture because they were the power in the house. Not that way today. It's not mine. Okay? <laughs> not that way today. We have much more, much more equal or equality today in all things. 
So that's also a warning about wives, how you treat your husbands. If you want God to hear your prayers, treat your husband okay. So James comes along. James, again, explains that thought process. We've come to this several times. James chapter 1, verse 14 again. But we are tempted when we are drawn away and trapped by our own desires. So he's talking about our thoughts. Then our evil desires conceive and give birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to what? death why because the wages of sin is right so when we sin we put ourselves in a precarious situation listen there's a hard truth here that many of us want to ignore that many of us we 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 want to ignore this problem about sin in our lives especially if we've gotten really comfortable with this sin in our lives and we don't want to think anything of it so what we do is we kind of just shrug it off and we go well god will cover that with his grace ha 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 doesn't matter, i got grace. Paul is writing to people who were a part of the church. Paul is writing to people who had publicly committed their lives to Christ. Paul is writing to people who each considered themselves, they all considered themselves to be saved. And yet he challenges where they're not living like saved people in their life, where they're mistreating each other, where they're abusing each other. Watch this, Romans chapter 2. Again, let me just stress this again. He is writing people who claim salvation, who have confessed the name of Christ. Watch what he says. But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to believers. He will judge everyone according to what they've done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who... And again, he's writing to believers. He's warning them who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. Man, you got to take sin seriously, even in your saved life. All right, number three. So what's the solution to my sin problem? So how do I break this persistent grip? I, I, if I were to say to you right now, and don't answer this out loud, please. If I were to say to you right now, what's the sin you struggle with? You all, you have one in mind right? I mean, you already know what it is. All of us struggle with this at differing levels at differing times. So here you have, I mean, right, e even more mature believers. I mean, we just had the Apostle Paul, right? An apostle whose letters are going to become one-third of the New Testament. Tell us that even he's not immune to this struggle. That even he's going to fight this thing. Even he deals with this thing. So even though you've been in the faith for maybe a long time, you're not immune to the struggle. You just ought to be more mature about the struggle. I think everybody's got that area they struggle in, that they stumble in. Maybe some of you, maybe you, you stumble with anger. You lose your temper. You fly off the handle. And if I were to ask you, What's the profanity you use when that happens? You, you know what it is. I mean, you could almost say it on a reflex right there, right? Or anxiety. 
Maybe you just worry all the time. Maybe you make yourself sick from worrying all the time. Maybe you struggle with dishonesty. Not so much that you steal, but you just can't even be honest about yourself. You can't even be honest about the people around you. You just wear a facade all the time. Maybe you struggle with lust. Maybe you've got some compulsion in those areas. And just for the record, lust covers any area except Jeeps. Jeeps are exempt. There's no lusting when it comes to Jeep. Yeah, everybody gets a pass on that one. I mean, the first two letters are the first two letters of Jesus. How much more clear can it be? <laughs> that and only Jesus can keep a Jeep running. Um, but wherever that struggle is, your area is your area. I mean, mine's mine, yours is yours. We may not have the same areas. But how do we break free from that persistent thing? All right, four things we need to do to break free from those areas. First one is A. I must meditate on what Jesus did for me. On the cross, Jesus not only paid the penalty for my sin, but he also paid to break the power of sin. He didn't just free me from the the penalty of sin in my life. He's freed me from the power of sin in my life. He wants to forgive everything we've done. And you've heard me say this a million times. I got saved when I was eight years old. What sins did Jesus save me from when I was eight years old? Just the sins of an eight-year-old? Because believe me, they were pretty darn harmless. But he also saved me, for the sin, saved me from the sins of a 60-year-old pastor that day. But I have to be aware of sin and its destruction. Man, that's good news. But I need to stop and I need to reflect every day and I need to remember that every day. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what's right. By his wounds, you are healed. 2 Corinthians. Although he was crucified in weakness, he now lives by the power of God. We too are weak, just as Christ was. But when we deal with you, we will be alive with him and will have God's power. I'm telling you what, it's good news what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's even better news that he came back to life to show us that we can do that too. He has given us the power to say no through his death. Now, that brings us actually to the next thing, B. I must let God give me the power to say no. So God gives you the power to say no, and the reality is, you need to use it. It's like getting a Christmas present that you never open. Right? You have to open this. You have to be able to do this. God has given you the power to say, mm, nope, not doing that anymore. I'm putting that behind me. Watch this from Romans 6. I'm going to have you circle one word in this. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, so that sin, circle the word might. I'm going to come right back to that. So that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Listen, that word might. We misunderstand that. That sin might lose its power. Listen, whether or not sin loses its power 
in your life is up to you. That's the might part. Then might lose its power depending on how you choose. See, I still have to choose to live with my new nature. I still have to choose to make every decision accordingly. But at least now, I have the option of saying no. I didn't have the option before. Now I have the option. 1 John 3. Those who've been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning. So we need to be getting that under control, right? We need to be responding to this. Because God's life is in them, so they can't keep on sinning. Listen, living out the saved life isn't going to church on Sunday. It's making... It's making godly decisions every time you make a decision. This, today, this is the easy part. This pumps you up so you can do the harder stuff when you're not here. So they can't keep on sinning because they are the children of God. So I choose to succeed or I choose to fail. But I choose whether or not, well, I choose whether or not sin might lose its power. Death might lose its power. Next thing, C. I must change my opinion of sin. You know, it's really common for us to joke about sin and to joke about the sins of others. So we do it. It seems innocuous, but it's actually a big deal. Here's, here's, here's the most common confession of sin out there. My bad. <laughs> right? Oh, I love this other one because it also denies all responsibility. Nobody's perfect. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 9. Fools make fun of sin, but the godly here underlined to the end. Acknowledge it and seek reconciliation. Romans 6. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. In other words, if you have the spirit of Christ Jesus living in you, you can say no. You can say, yeah, I know that's funny in my, my worldly nature, but it's not funny to my saved nature, and I need to go with my saved nature on this. All right, last thing, D. I must challenge the lie behind the temptation. So anytime I sin, it's because I've been tempted, and I've got to challenge the lie behind the temptation because all temptation has with it a lie. So when we started this series, we said, you know, just as with Adam and Eve in the garden, when Satan tempted them, there is a lie behind all of our temptations that we deal with. There's a lie behind every sin. And when we believe the lie, we think, well, if I do this, I'll feel better. If I do this, I'll feel less stressed. If I do this, I'll feel relieved. If I do this, I'll be happier. If I do this, things will work out great for me. And often that lie that we listen to is this one. It's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. Look around. Everybody's doing it. Remember that God never commands you to do something you can't do. God will never come to me and say, Tony... You need to be six foot four. In my head, I am. And then I look in the mirror and my dad's at my house. Um, hi, dad. <laughs> um, if God tells you, here's what you need to do, it's because you have the choice to do it. You can make the choice. You have the freedom. But you have to choose, and you have to put in the effort with the choice to make it. Romans chapter 6. Do not, circle the word let. There's your suggestion that you have the option right there. 
God never commands you to do something you don't have the ability to do. So if he says don't let it, you have the ability to not let it. Do not let sin, in other words, don't give it permission to, control the way you live. Do not give in to, in other words, don't give yourself permission to give in to sinful desires. Do not let, don't give it permission. Don't give permission to any part of your body to become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Let's pray. Father, today we come to you to ask you to make us ever mindful through your spirit. Father, when we come to these moments of choice, prompt us with your spirit. Remind us through the Holy Spirit, Father, speak to us and remind us that we have the choice to choose life. We have the choice to live under grace and to say no to the sins that come our way. Father, remind us that even Scripture tells us that Jesus, our high priest, was tempted, tested, and tried in every way that we are. And yet he chose to not sin in those areas. Father, help us to follow that example. Help us to mature. And Father, we understand we're going to struggle with this forever because we have two natures living in us, our sinful nature and then the saved nature that you've given us. But Father, help us choose the eternal nature more. Help us lean in that direction. Father, may we grow until the day that you call us home. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.